Welcome to St. James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast is an edited recording of our Sunday morning service on February the 11th, 2024. For news and information and to find out how to join us, please visit stjamesleith.org.uk. everyone. Welcome to St. James's on this rather dreech morning. Welcome to those of you who are here in the building. Welcome to those of you who are joining us from home. And in a special welcome to those of you who are on your February break. May you have a nice week. Um, today, we're continuing with our theme. Any hints as to what these are? <laughs> Walking boots. We can. Journeying together with God. Journeying together with God, where God leads us. So, as we start our time of worship together now, we'll sound the singing bowl and light our candle as a symbol of God's presence here with us. And we'll take a few moments of quiet as we remember we're in God's presence. God of light and love, in this very moment the star still beckons. Gather us and let the star call us in new ways of healing and hope, restoration and renewal, as we discover again Christ's call to discipleship. Amen.
Let us pray together as we confess in honesty to God. God of all nations, revealed to us by the wise men, forgive us when we feel fear of the other. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us when we do not make the effort to journey to the end, but give up disheartened. Christ, have mercy. Forgive us when we do not lay our gifts down, but want to keep them to ourselves. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us for being people who choose to walk in darkness. Help us to turn to your revealing light, so we may recognise you as being here among us today and always. together the collect which is the prayer for today almighty god whose son was revealed in majesty before he suffered death upon the cross give us grace to perceive his glory that we may be strengthened to suffer with him and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading this morning is taken from 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you, if not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
to God, source of all being, eternal word and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. If you'd like to stand now for the gospel. Gospel is taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the gospel, good news for all. Praise to you, O Christ. Loving God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Amen. So I'm going to concentrate on our gospel reading, Transfiguration, and it has all the ingredients and themes that we've explored over the past few weeks. Uh, Robert looked at story, uh, Judith before that looked at transformation, and I looked at all three during the AGM and journey, and probably concentrate on journey. But like all good stories, Mark's description of Jesus' transfiguration is full of metaphor and symbolism, where certain words in it and phrases represent a deeper truth. So I'm just going to start really to uh, kind of waken you up a little bit um, uh, and ask, are there any words in there that, that you think actually have, potentially have a, a, a deeper, wider, potentially could represent anything else? So just pick out possibly uh, any word that you think 
could represent something more than what it is. In other words, it is symbolic of something else. In the gospel? In the gospel reading, yeah, in the gospel reading. Richard? Mountain. Mountain, fantastic, mountain. Um, can you say a little bit more what it might represent? Oh, but we can't hear you. Oh, sorry. So Mount, uh, Richard said mountain. Um, a little bit more, just what it might represent. Yeah, the, um, elevated experiences of life. Elevated experiences of life, sort of thin place where you might meet God. Any other words in there that you might think? Cloud. Sorry? Cloud. Cloud, thank you. I'm the, I won't expand on that, but I want you just to begin thinking what cloud might mean cloud, thank you. Any That's others? Sorry. A path. A path. A path. Thank you. A path. Dazzling white. The whole uh, <laughs> image of white. Anything else in there? Dwellings. Dwellings. Thank you. Any other? A voice. A voice. Thank you. So we've had mountain, white, light, uh, clouds dwellings and other things would be walking down the mountain, up the mountain, uh, down the mountain apart. Uh, Jesus in the middle of Moses and Elijah. So I want you to look at this story uh, and thinking about these symbols. Um, it's not to say I'm saying it didn't happen, but I think our gospel writers really um, uh, want you to they want to convey uh, a meaning, and this story is in, all, um, is in Matthew, Luke, and Mark, and each one of them is slightly different. They're each uh, communicating slightly different things. And in order to get the meaning, I think we need to look at some of this symbolism. So I'm going to, uh, this reflection is going to be looking at what some of that symbolism might mean. So our story starts uh, with Jesus leading Peter, James and John up the mountain, away from the hustle and bustle of life, to commune with God and receive courage and clarity of purpose and hope that they need uh, for their journey towards Jerusalem. Again, another place symbolic um, of the challenge that is to come and really life-threatening confrontation that Jesus is going to have with both the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. So Jesus, like he always does uh, with important events coming, takes himself away with this inner circle of disciples. And on the mountain top they see the human Jesus transformed before their very eyes into the post-resurrection Christ. They get a glimpse of what Christ will be like post-resurrection, clothed in dazzling white, surrounded by light, and between Moses and Elijah. And that puts Jesus right in the centre of the prophetic tradition, the tradition of speaking truth to power, of calling people back to ways of justice, peace, and love. So the prophetic ministry is absolutely critical to, and at the heart of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And I won't say much about it, it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, but the prophetic ministry is a ministry, I think, sadly lacking in our churches today. I know Sean and I have both had conversations with uh, 
church leaders, and it just seems to be absent, really, absent from the whole conversation about what church is about. So this transformation is a mountaintop experience that is both beautiful and terrifying. And I think beauty often is beautiful. Anything, if you see beauty in nature, it's often incredibly uh, wonderful, but also terrifying at the same time. And Peter and the disciples are frightened and they do not know what to do um, and find it hard to, to know what to say. And I recently heard a quote that says, when a system does not know what to do, it reverts back to what it knows. When a system does not know what to do, it reverts back to what it knows. So you could replace the word system with any group of people, whether it's a church, an individual, a family, a company. When faced with uncertainty, when there's a number of options, but no clear way forward of making a decision, when we're potentially fearful about the future, we revert back to what's comfortable and familiar. And sometimes that is a good thing to reorientate ourselves with the familiar, but I think we need to be conscious that that is what we are doing, because often that reverting back prevents us from moving into something bigger, something more expansive, and something richer. As St. Paul says, we worship a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And the recent clergy conference that uh, Joe and I went to, uh, one of the speakers, who's, forgive, I hope he forgives me, his name has uh, escaped me, but he did an empirical church of the Church of Scotland, which, as you know, um, is, uh, has been declining. And he looked at where it was declining, but where there were new shoots of growth, and, and there were lots of new shoots of growth. And he said that the biggest thing uh, that stopped the biggest uh, characteristic of declining churches was uh, nostalgia, was this desire to go back to a perceived golden age or an age where things might well have worked. Um, and that was the key component. So here, when Peter doesn't know what to do or say, he reverts back to what he knows. He does what any good Jewish person of faith would do. He wants to build a dwelling. He wants to pitch a tent to, to mark the sacred moment. And this is in the very DNA of the Jewish tradition. I could give you example after example, but the Israelites, they housed the Ark of Covenant in the tabernacle in a holy tent. The festival of Sukkot is a Jewish holiday where people build small dwellings of worship. So Peter, we, we often give Peter a hard time for his responses, that he just opens his mouth before he, he thinks, you know, there goes Peter again, clueless. He wants to put God in a box or stay on the mountain forever. It never, never mentions that he wants to stay on the mountain forever. But actually, he is responding to this mountaintop experience, both worshipfully and liturgically. His response is part of his tradition, his story, his understanding of what the right thing to do is. So when we don't know what to do, we do 
what we know. But as in many Bible stories, God often disrupts what we know and uh, a cloud appears where vision is no longer clear, where the light of Christ is less visible. And we have this juxtaposition of light and cloud, of knowing and not knowing. And it is in the cloud, in the not knowing, in the uncertainty, where things get harder and when we are required to trust and to have faith. So in this uh, cloud, God's voice doesn't affirm what they were probably expecting, which was to go ahead and build a dwelling, marking the sacred event. Instead, the voice says, listen. Don't build, don't talk, don't do anything. Just listen. And I think a better phrase might be, when we don't know what to do, let's stop and listen. And this is very counterintuitive because our natural response to uncertainty, to challenge uh, or cr any crisis is to heighten our activity, to speed up, to respond with action, to build shelters. And sometimes, again, this might be the correct response, but more often than not, God calls us to stop, to listen, and to inhabit that liminal transitional space, which often feels empty and difficult. Lauren Winner uh, wrote a book called Still, describing um, her, a midlife faith crisis arising from her divorce where she tells of wanting to fill the feelings of emptiness and loneliness with anything, with food, with alcohol, with shopping, with exercise. And she describes a key moment in her healing when a friend said, just sit with the loneliness and emptiness for five minutes. Just sit with it for five minutes. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and ignore it. Listen to yourself, listen to your body, listen to God. And I think in a similar sense, we, uh, we also have a, a building here that we've uh, increasing access to. And a natural response, understandable response, is to just accept any requests to fill it uh, because we have uh, this deficit. But I think maybe we are first and foremost called to listen to live in that liminal space, that uncomfortable space, that uncertain space, for a time to pray and to listen. And as Vestry, uh, we did actually take time to listen to God and each other when we decided what to do with the building, whether to increase the use of uh, our building and uh, our Salih School of Art um, uh, tell them that we wanted to use it more. We, we had two meetings, one information giving and one a discernment process facilitated by an outsider and that process was filled with silence uh, and certainly for me a sense of God's presence uh, and the decision uh, was made that, that we would increase our use of the building. Now of course there's no 100% certainty we got the decision right, there seldom is but I think we did get the process right. We did actually provide space to listen. 
And I think from that foundation, we don't need to build shelters or pitch tents. We can have the assurance to walk down the mountain with confidence into the world, into our community, with all its messiness, with all its trauma, but also with all its life, to be a community on the move, to be a community in transition, not of fear, but to have expectation and hope. And I want to quote uh, from a Swiss Catholic priest and theologian called Hans Kung. Some of you uh, might know him. And he says, A church which pitches its tents without constantly looking out for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp, move camp, is being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment. It is in some ways a very inspiring quote, but deeply challenging and scary, because it points us in a direction of being increasingly led by the Holy Spirit, which means actually liberating us from a culture of needing to control everything and instead trusting the Holy Spirit that she will beget and co-create with us something new and wonderful and possibly create new ministries that we cannot even imagine. For again, as St. Paul says, we worship a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So my question I've been asking myself is, what prevents us from listening to the Spirit's leadings? And a study was done at, at Princeton Theological College in America about what makes a good Samaritan. And I, um, I won't go through the whole study, I'll try and paraphrase it. But they were asking the question, why do some people walk on past a person in distress and some people stop and help. So, and they split the students into three groups uh, and they all had to move from one lecture hall listening to a lecture to another across uh, campus. They had to transition to lecture halls. And in the lectures they were learning about the Good Samaritan story. And one group were told they were, they were running late from, for, from the lecture hall and had to get to the next destination quickly. The second were told uh, that they shouldn't dawdle. They'll get there in time if they don't dawdle. And the third group were told that they had uh, uh, quite a lot of time to reach it. And the students were sent out uh, individually. And en route, of course, they set up a man who was in uh, distress. Anyway, when they analysed uh, the data, they found that the reason people stopped to help had nothing to do with personality traits, nothing to do with empathy levels, nothing to do with an understanding of uh, the Good Samaritan story or any other variables. It actually had, the ones that stopped were the ones who were not in a hurry and had time. Now, if I, if, I, if I think back over my times when I've seen someone in distress on the road and I've stopped, and when I haven't stopped, it's because of what I've got to do. If I've got time, I've stopped. If I haven't, I've driven on. So uh, an interesting study. And I think it makes us aware 
especially as we come into Lent of our busyness, of our hurrying, of our incessant activity, because it potentially prevents us from listening to God and being present to the situation in hand. And I think we would be well to learn from Jesus and slow down to walking pace, for he always journeyed on foot or in a boat. A pace that allowed him to have sacred encounters along the way, showing us the art of slowing down and being present to one another. And for Jesus, the journey, the actual journeying, was as important as the final destination. He always took time to uh, be, be with people. Um, again, during my curacy, uh, my, my training incumbent, um, it was American, I'll call him Father B, I le- um, Father Brian, he, I learned loads from him, um, uh, quite a character, um, a lot of what I learned is what not to do, <laughs> um, a lot of what I learned was what to do, but he used to walk the parish, and he did it in, you know, full Monty, he had all, well, not full Monty, he did have, <laughs> uh, he had a cassette, he had his a cassock and he had a beret he used to walk the beret and he'd walk and and I'd lived in that parish for quite a long time so I used to uh, sort of walk rather sheepishly behind him because everybody used to think what you know what's what's this man doing and then I am digressing a bit but the second time he walked um, a friend of mine said hey up Ian what, uh, is your mate going to stag do <laughs> <laughs> and I anyway he was dressed up but he used to walk the parish. The only problem was that he was quite grumpy. So in his um, encounters, uh, I don't know how helpful he was. But, uh, but he, I think he had the right idea that he would walk the parish. At least he, he was seen. Uh, and on another occasion, on, I learned about Journey, um, I organised a bike ride because uh, we, we, we needed to raise funds. And a 60-mile bike ride around the Lake District, uh, around the Peak District, rather. And I'd organised a, a beautiful route. And anyway, he turned up, and he, as usual, he had the full kit, Tour de France kit, goggles, the whole works. So he'd gone out, <laughs> brought the kit. Anyway, we went on the bike ride, and it, it was a stunning bike ride. The heather was out, purple heather, and sun was shining. Um, I went through sort of forest areas, we went through Chatsworth and there were deer on the side, you know, incredible. Um, we went through past water, the light gleaming off the water, so on and so on. And Father B, I have to say, missed the whole lot. His head was down, he was going to get uh, to the end of the story, but uh, end, of the, end of the journey. And um, at the end, the, uh, you go up from Hathersage and there's a big climb up into Sheffield. It was quite exhausting anyway. I cycled up and I got there at the top before and I waited for Father Brian and, and he came up. And then at the top there, you have a five-mile nice incline where you just glide into Sheffield. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I waited for him to top and he just uh, started cycling down as fast as he could as I was gliding down. And I never got, he got to the end far before me, but I realised that he was in a race. <laughs> and I imagined that he'd get to the church and there'd be ticker tape because all the congregation were waiting and he'd have his arms raised um, and it, it won. But it taught me that actually, if you're so focused on the end, you, will, you just miss 
the glory, I mean, it was the most glory, probably one of the most memorable days of my life. You are potentially will miss um, what's around me, what's around you, rather. And I was very um, influenced by a book in, way back, uh, written in the uh, 1960s by a Japanese theologian called Kasuku Koyama. And he wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And he found that the average speed human beings walk at is three miles an hour. And that Jesus would have walked at three miles an hour. And he goes on to say that our God, who is love, walks at three miles per hour. And that love has a speed. And Koama says that that speed is slow. It is a speed that is loving, tender, gentle, and I would say ironically more productive than hurried activity. Now, as always with preaching, there is always a preface to this. Of course, there are times in our work and lives where we need to speed up, where we need to respond quickly to certain situations. And we are a relatively small uh, community. We should be light on our feet and be able to respond and adapt to changing situations. And sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're a bit like a tanker moving. Um, But I I don't think that's to do with the speed that we're going at. I think that's more to do sometimes uh, with clarity of processes, uh, something that that I am and we're trying to work on. But I think overall we do need sometimes to slow down, to listen before rushing into action, and to live fully in the present moment. And this is why the balance between contemplation Prayer, meditation, and action is so important. So my invitation to myself and to you is, as we go into Lent, is to find times where you slow down to Jesus' speed, to three miles an hour, a speed that is loving and gentle to yourselves, but also to others. So do, over Lent, if you can, join us uh, to walk the labyrinth, Join Sally as she does uh, Ignatian prayer evenings. Join us for the silent Eucharist. Join us for contemplative services that uh, uh, Elizabeth is uh, running on Zoom in Holy Week. And make time for yourselves to stop, to consciously slow down if you can and listen. And it is challenging because lots of you have very, very busy and challenging lifestyles. But if you can, try and create a little bit of space to slow down. And before uh, Hugh comes up to pray, I'm going to pray a prayer attributed to St. Brendan. So let us pray. O God, help us to journey beyond the familiar and into the unknown. Give us the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with you. Christ of mysteries, we trust you to be stronger than any storm that we face. We trust in the cloud as well as light and know that you are with us on our journey and that we are in your hands. Tune us, spirit, to the music of heaven and somehow make our endeavours count for you. Amen. When I say 
loving God, send my roots deep. You say, so I can reach far. Loving God, send my roots deep, so I can reach far. Loving God, thank you for the new Chinese year. Shower your blessing on those cultures that are celebrating. May this be a chance for them to look back at the gifts of the last year and may they in turn share your joy with those around them this year, including with the weakest in society. Loving God, send my roots deep so I can reach far. Lord, thank you for those groups that bring different cultures closer, such as interfaith groups and those working for peace. May they have the support they need and find enough time for reflection so that they can discern the areas where their work is most needed. Loving God, send my roots deep so I can reach far. Lord, give some peace to those at all levels of society who are rushed, strung out, stressed, and losing perspective. Guide them to the moments of revelation that refresh them and draw them towards you. Loving God, send my roots deep so I can reach far. Lord, strengthen the prayer life of churches around the world, including St. James, and of each one of their members. Loving God, send my roots deep so I can reach far. Lord, thank you for this moment in my week where I am encouraged to listen to you. I'm going to pause for a moment now and I'm going to ask you, God, to give your wisdom to us here in the church in case there's something you want to tell us right now. And now, Lord, in the next brief period of silence, if we wish, we can each ask for your help with anything that is worrying us or whatever it is that we most care about. Loving God, send my roots deep so I can reach far. Amen. We just end our time of prayer with the New Zealand version of the Jesus Prayer. Let's say together. Eternal Spirit, Earth Maker, Pain Bearer, Life Giver, Source of all that is and that shall be, Father and Mother of us all, Loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echo through the universe. 
the way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. So now may I invite you to stand for the peace. say to all here uh, in the building and all at home, God has made us one in Christ. He has set his seal upon us and loves us as sons and daughters and has given the spirit to dwell in our hearts. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Let us start by offering our peace to those at home.
and thanksgiving be to you, most loving Father. In Jesus, the Messiah, you have come to us. Our hope is built on him in whom you are well pleased. Having been shown to the world as your beloved son, he proclaimed the good news of your kingdom. The blind received their sight, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, and the captives set free. At his word, water became wine, the hungry were filled with bread, and the dead were raised. Before he was given up to suffering and death, at supper with his disciples, he took bread and offered you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, it is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup, he offered you thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is poured out for you and for all, that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. We now obey your son's command. We recall his blessed passion and death, his glorious resurrection and ascension. And we look for the coming of his kingdom. Made one with him, we offer you these gifts, and with them ourselves, a single, holy, living Hear us, most merciful Father, and send your Holy Spirit upon us here in the building and upon those at home, and upon this bread and this wine, that overshadowed by your life-giving power, they may be the body and blood of your Son, and we may be kindled with the fire of your love and renewed for the service of your kingdom. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honour and glory be to you, Lord of all ages, world without end. Amen. living bread is broken for the life of the world. Lord, unite us in this sign. Draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your heart.
We pray that as we enter into Lent, this holy season, that you would help us, where possible, to slow down, to walk at your pace, and to listen to your voice. Amen. We say the Thanksgiving prayer together. Lord God, the bright splendor whom the nations see, may we, who with the wise men have been drawn by your light, discern your glory of your presence in your Son, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.